means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are doing Chapter 3, The Advanced Guard. We have Molly with us today. Hello! And before we get into the chapter, we have a couple of shout-outs. Uh, I wanted to shout-out Vimes, who you can find on Twitter at uh, the Ruin R-U-A-N, I'm probably butchering that pronunciation, at the Ruin. L, capital L, um, who's actually catching up on our podcast. Uh, he's going through all of the episodes, and he's listening from South Africa. So uh, cheers to you for listening for all of our episodes from South Africa. That's really cool. Um, just the idea that we're actually being listened to on the continent of Africa is kind of a cool idea. Um, also, we've recently dropped our 100th episode, so that's crazy to think about. <laughs> Uh, we didn't even really realize it until like we went back afterwards and we're like, I wonder how many episodes we've actually done. Uh, and then we posted it on our Twitter and a bunch of people have actually, you know, commented and congratulated, uh, congratulated us like Maria T, who's a frequent contributor, a podcast called the Killin' Missin' Hidden podcast. Cool. Thank you for, for, uh, congratulating us on that. And Chat Tsunami, uh, C-H-A-T-S-U-N-A-M-I, who's been pretty active on our Twitter lately, also gave us a shout-out for that. So thank all of you for that. Um, I can't believe we're at the 100th episode. And, I, you know, obviously we just started Order of the Phoenix. I, I think, Molly, you made the comment that it seems to be going really fast. <laughs> it does. It feels like it's going fast. Yeah, I guess it's the doing these, you know, one episode every week, and we just seemingly pound through it. But, you know, we've been doing this for a long time already now. A few years. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. We have a few years left to go. So, <laughs> we do. We do. Um, I mean, this book will almost take a full year just to get through yeah. this book. So, we'll see. So... This chapter, The Advanced Guard, uh, is, I think, a pretty cool chapter. I've liked the first couple of chapters in this book, and we'll get to all of your thoughts on Order of the Phoenix <laughs> um, in a second. But this chapter kind of introduces us to quite a few different characters. Uh, even, I guess you can call it a reintroduction, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we start the chapter with uh, stunningly some teenage angst. Then we meet all of these new characters, and then we're off on a journey. I mean, that's essentially the chapter in a nutshell. There's not a whole lot to it dynamically, really. It's just very point to point. But I know, obviously, Molly, you have a soft spot in your heart for the creatures of the world. Oh, I do. And Harry is not very nice to Hedwig at the beginning of this chapter. He's all in his emotions. (laughs) And, you know, in defense of Harry here... He mentions it's been four days since the whole epic uh, meltdown of events post-Dudley being attacked by a Dementor. So that's a long time to kind of be in the dark on all of this. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a bunch of letters flying at you, just being like, hey, stay put. This is crazy. I know you've been expelled from Hogwarts. <laughs> I know they're coming to take your wand. Just chill. Just sit and chill. We got the, we're got. we figuring this out. And then they just leave them. Yep. And they're like, silent. Mm-hmm. Silent. Silent. <laughs> and he's stuck in this room because obviously the Dursleys don't want him walking around the house. It's a lot. And he takes a little bit out on, uh, on Hedwig. But what are your thoughts on Harry's, I guess, more emo nature at the beginning of this book in the first couple chapters? Yeah, so when, first of all, I mean, Order of the Phoenix, awesome book. Starts with a bang, gets you right into it. Mm-hmm. So enjoy that. Um, but yeah, Harry definitely um, has, you know, a little bit of emo going on in him. Would you consider the first chapter one of the more exciting chapters yeah i would especially for like the first beginning of it um it's just right off the start like fun thing or not fun things but (laughs) it gets like you said it gets you into the action and it's gets you off and running where some of the other earlier chapters that we've gone through have just been these slow plot filled yeah like back at the dursleys right just harry's a special boy <laughs> right for exactly. the 10 millionth time he's a very special boy very special i don't know what teenage molly was like oh man but do you kind of identify with some of this angst that harry's feeling do you kind of get where he's coming from or is this just like harry get it together man like where oh, no. are you at so, I mean, I wouldn't say I was, like, an angsty teenager. Like, I know I'm sure I had my, my few years where, you know, the hormones hit you hard. Yeah. And you're just like, bah! And, uh... How was wel- that? That was... That you're was even- welcome for that noise. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like where you got mad at your mom for stupid things in the grocery store. I think we all have, like, our, our angsty years. But the biggest thing with Harry in these first couple chapters is... He just went through a pretty traumatic experience. And probably not the best thing for him right now is isolation. Yeah. Or the Dursleys. uh, Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's good or healthy for anyone in any mind state to be trapped in a house with Vernon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But so if you just witnessed a traumatic event on any level, hopefully no one's you know, witnessed a traumatic event to the level that Harry has in the last chapter where you're like physically abused, you watch a friend die in front of you, you witness the person, the individual that's responsible for your parents to death come right back. And then to your point, you're in isolation and it's, how can I relate this to everybody? But like, you ever have that feeling when you're in your room at night everything's off you you turn off the tv you put your phone away finally Mm -hmm. and it's just you in the blackness of your room about ready to fall asleep and before you fall asleep it's just you and your brain and like if anybody's experienced this like anxiety or whatever but your brain seems to think of like (laughs) it seems to think of every like dumb thing you've ever done and just torture you with it like 
Oh, I made that one person feel awkward when I was in fifth grade. Ah, you know? 100% been there. <laughs> and you just relive these events, however dumb they are, like that one, or however traumatic they actually were, like this. And he's got four days of nothing but being in a room where he can't use magic, he has no TV, he has no PlayStation or Xbox or computer to distract him from his thoughts. He can't mentally check out. He can't. No. He's, like, he's in a physical prison because, as, you know, he mentions, they lock the door and they're feeding him through a doggy door. Like, he's in a literal prison. But he's also in this, like, mental prison where he can't, he's not getting any stimulation otherwise. And his friends, who he wants to have that outlet with, aren't giving him that that retreat. Um, I get that they, you know, they can't. They keep saying vague things like, we'll get there. We'll tell you eventually. Okay. If you're his friends, you got to do a little bit better. <laughs> like, yeah. you got to give him something to take his mind off of whatever. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not telling him about Volby's whereabouts, <laughs> you could still be like, Hey, you know, this was happening, you know, with my family, or Ron has got to come up with something better. Or Ron's got to be like, make something up about Charlie. Right. Or Bill. If, if they're doing something that's important and you can't divulge where they're at, make something up. Like, figure it out. I'm not saying lie to the kid, but lie to the kid. <laughs> like, give him something to go on. And if you're Dumbledore... I think this is a flaw because at the end of book four, you're like saying how to deal with a traumatic experience. You have to deal with it and you have to be present in it to accept that it happened so you can move forward. Great advice. Here, he just kind of lets him go. Yeah. And, and now he's... Uh, another thing that happens when you're alone with just you and your brain... Logic starts to fade, and you just start on the slippery slope of making stuff up yourself. Coming up with thoughts. And your brain can create scenarios that are super messed up. Oh, yeah. And I think that's where Harry's at here in, in this chapter. And I don't know. I, I find it super relatable, and I've, I, it helps coming right off of book four. So you get the full story uh and you know we've talked about it in the past how these books had a gap between so people just picked up book five and were like why is this kid so like angsty yeah for sure i get it yeah so it, it's this emotion has never ever bothered me yeah the first time i read it i was like oh my god like i was on the side of like he's being too angsty and then the more times i reread the book i've gone through the harry potter books a lot um mm -hmm. My opinions have changed. I feel like something always changes, you know, depending upon, or something always changes every time I reread the books for me. So. I think this is the best way to read the books. Yeah. Is like kind of put yourself in a new frame or a new mindset. Oh, definitely. And I, I think that's what I've done. One of the things I like about this read through the podcast 
is I purposefully try to put myself in other characters' shoes and be like, what is this scenario like Ooh, that's cool. for somebody else in the scene? Because I've always read it through Harry's perspective, because that's all I've ever done. So I'm like, oh, how would Hermione be dealing with this? Or how would Molly Weasley be dealing with it? Or how would Fudge be dealing with this? Or what is this like for Peter Pettigrew? Like, <laughs> you know. Um, that's a pretty cool perspective. I like doing it. Because yeah. then you start thinking of, you know, just other characters' motivations. Mm -hmm. And maybe they make a little bit more sense than just the irrational 14-year-old <laughs> boy like, this is so unfair. <laughs> okay, well, time out. Right. <laughs> like, there's... These are adults with their own reasons for things. But yeah. So that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Already. We're off on some good tangents. Yeah. Ultimately, we get to the point... Oh, first of all, before we get by the, Hag uh, the Hedwig thing, I like how he writes out these notes to Sirius, Hermione, and Ron, and then tells Hedwig to peck them until they give them a long enough response. <laughs> That's just mean on a couple of fronts. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. He's, I, you know, I mean, I think the logical thing is it's sudden anger. He's just so angry right now, and he's so in his own head, like you were talking about, and he just can't get outside of it. And Oh, if I am them, I am not happy about that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Like, absolutely not. I, I know uh, this is another thing we kind of get numb to, mm -hmm. but Hedwig is a snowy owl. Yes. That is not a small bird. We're not talking about like, uh, like pig, like Ron's little tiny owl. Right. Hedwig is a decently sized owl. That's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Yeah. That's going to hurt a lot. I'm sure she's being kind and like nipping them, but still that's like, mm -hmm. that owl can do a lot of damage if it wanted to. For sure. Well, even like their claws. Like, <laughs> yeah. In real life, like people wear like leather gloves. Yeah. Those talons are like legit. Yeah. They're yeah. dangerous. And she's just out on a hunt. She just brought back like what, a frog or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> sorry, random tangent. Um, Would it really be a Dan and Molly episode without random tangents? Random tangents? Absolutely not. <laughs> and we might get on some more, because there's some interesting stuff coming up. Uh, we get the appearance of what Harry thinks are burglars downstairs. <laughs> and, uh, we get the appearance of, of what he says is roughly eight or nine people at the bottom of the landing. And I'm just going to run through them now. Uh, we get Moody, Lupin, Nymphadora Tonks, Kingsley Shacklebolt, Elphias Dodge. I'm going to pronounce that Dodge. D-O-G-E. Uh, Dedalius Diggle, who if you remember from way, way, way back when, he, he even says it in here. It's like, oh, I met you before. I love like, that. Way reference. back when. You get Emmeline Vance, Sturgis Podmore. And Hestia Jones uh, is the group that comes to pick Harry up from Privet Drive. And um, <laughs> there's a lot going on here. Obviously, there's a lot of volunteers to come go get uh, Harry. And most of them seem... I don't know what the word is. Fascinated by? Intrigued by? Uh, they, they all just kind of look at him <laughs> and stare at him pointedly. 
Yeah, well, I think with that, you know, we're so used to Harry at this point that it's just Harry. Mm -hmm. I think we forget that, like, there's other people that have not met Harry and not have met the very special boy that he is and are, like, enamored with him. So it's kind of a reintroduction to, like, oh, this is Harry Potter in, you know, a way. Well, I think it's, like... You get the the Harry Potter vibe. Mm-hmm. It's he's famous, so you get him from literally being a baby and what he did. They like took part or lived through that first Wizarding War, so they know what that was like. And he's the one that effectively ended it. So there's that. But then you get the sense of what do you think Dumbledore told them exactly? Do you think he told them? Oh, by the way, Harry Potter just fought Voldy. And survived, got here. Like, he told them the whole event of the night, I would assume. He may have. You never know with Dumbledore. He's such a wild card. That's true. But can you imagine if you're like Emmeline Vance and you're like, why should I go pick up this kid on a random day? And Dumbledore tells you, presumably, tells you that story. What must be going through your mind? Like, some 14-year-old kid just beat Voldy in a duel got back with a body by the way one that survived and won the triwizard t- like what is going on yeah like i would i would be curious i'd be like no i want to go meet this kid <laughs> like, this kid must be <laughs> legit right I, but to your point yeah i don't know what what dumbledore probably told them right if it was just like no he's important go pick him up yeah I would assume he probably dropped some information because if they are, you know, quote, part of the order, they're probably going to have to know some details because they've been discussing it. You'd think. You'd think. You'd think, like, if he, he'd but, have to at least tell them, like, hey, Voldy's back. Like, like he said at the end of Goblet of Fire, hey, we're getting the band back together. We're getting this group back together here. Yeah. <laughs> I would assume there need to be a reason for that. Yeah. Not just, hey, there's some rogue Death Eaters, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. We need, like, a whole squad. <laughs> we need to get the whole squad. Dan, when you said we're getting the band back together, for some reason my brain totally just went to the Blues Brothers. <laughs> All right. If you couldn't tell, that reference, we're from Chicago. <laughs> Very heavy Chicago <laughs> reference, that one. Yes. Uh, go watch that movie if you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, driving in like an old car just to pick them all up. Yep. I can see Dumbledore totally doing that. Yeah. He's like, we got to be stealthy about this. Right? Moody, he's got his hat, his sunglasses on, and it's dark. Oh, <laughs> uh, Moody is such a vibe here. So we kind of get like a a reintroduction of sorts. Cause we do. We had a whole book of Moody, except we had none of the actual Alistair Moody in it. Yes. So this is like our first introduction to the character? The first introduction to the real Moody. Yeah, well, to the the conscious Moody, because he's unconscious in a trunk (laughs) when we really meet him. (laughs) Will the real Moody please stand up? Oh, man. (laughs) I'm dropping them all tonight, Dan. (laughs) You go from a Blues Brothers reference... (laughs) To an Eminem reference right out the gate. <laughs> One right after another. Nice. Who's she going to drop next? Kesha? Who knows? <laughs> Moody is a real vibe. I'm sure he would have loved that Eminem comparison. Oh. 
Yeah. <laughs> you get a whole... I will say this about Moody's reintroduction here. We get a full book of Barty Crouch Jr. pretending to be Moody. And we get that sense of paranoia from him that, you know, Anna and I raved so much about. Like, oh, he really got the sense of Moody. Which is true, because we see paranoia from Moody in this chapter. Very paranoid. But did you uh, get the sense that it was written a little bit differently? Oh, yes. Because I picked that up. I noticed that for whatever reason, I could tell his paranoia here was different than the paranoia that Barty Crouch Jr. And obviously they're different people. I don't know how to explain this, but for whatever reason, it just came off as like, oh, this is a different, like, this seems like a whole different character. It was. It, it, it definitely feels like there's a distinguishable difference. And I just don't know if that's like my head yeah. knowing like, oh, this is the real Moody. So it sounds more like the real Moody. Yeah. Or if it's just literally her writing and being able to essentially say the same paranoid stuff, quote unquote, but in just slightly different way. So it comes off as different. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'm just reading that or let me know on, you know, Twitter or Instagram or comment on it. If you picked up on the same differences in tone that separated the two Moody's paranoia. Yeah. Well, I think it can also be seen like he says, like the whole thing about the wand is in his back pocket of his jeans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't put your wand there, boy. Like just the use of boy, like it sounds more like old man, grumpy, paranoid vibe. Maybe, maybe it is that. Maybe it's like that aged yes. paranoia instead of just like a generalized paranoia. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. With this group of witches and wizards that come to pick up Harry, there's an interesting dynamic amongst them. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of get a, kind of gleam a little bit of some of their personalities a little bit. Particularly, there's two interactions that really stick out. There's obviously Lupin and Harry, who, those do those two do have a history. They actually spent a whole book together <laughs> in, in Harry's third year in The Prisoner of Azkaban. So they have a connection. They have a rapport of going back and forth. Where Lupin can almost feel what Harry's thinking or what he must be experiencing right now. With all of this being overwhelming. And then you have Moody and Tonks. <laughs> and Tonks is one of the new characters that we get a lot of in this chapter. And I, I love the interactions between Tonks and Moody and Tonks and Harry. I think you get some interesting interactions. <laughs> and yes, uh, wand safety and butts is a big <laughs> is a big conversation point. I wonder if the real Alistair Moody cares about the thickness of cauldrons. Thick bottom cauldrons? If he thinks that a thick bottom cauldron is much better than a thin bottom cauldron. Do you think Percy would take him seriously enough, even if they had this similar thought process? <laughs> like, 
Percy, I think, if I remember correctly, he was a little eh on Moody mm-hmm. in Goblet of Fire. He's like, oh, this old bat is like losing it a bit. Yeah. But do you think if Moody was like, no, thick bottom cauldrons are the way to go, Percy would be like, now we're talking. Now. We're on the same page. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think so. You think he's really reading like ministry reports on cauldron thickness? Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like that would be a moody thing. I bet you he's reading that, uh, you know, article. That... You think he was the one that penned in about, like, the thin yes. bottom cauldrons being a liability? I think he probably was. Maybe. No one's no no one's paying attention to basic wand safety anymore? Well, maybe no one was paying attention to cauldron safety anymore. And he wrote into the ministry Yeah. and gave Percy all that work. I mean, it's a legit concern. I think we've discovered a new canon. Yep. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That'll be Molly's fan fiction. <laughs> Moody's random letters to the ministry. Oh my god. I love it. <laughs> I want it to happen. Dan, there's so many weird things I just want to happen. <laughs> uh, this is why you come to listen to the Molly episodes. The, the, these are random tangents. Uh, I love them. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, so the, the wand safety comes into play. He's like... I've seen, he he goes something along the lines of, I've seen many a wizard have, like, a wand incident or whatever, putting mm-hmm. their wand in the back pocket. Yeah. And then as they're getting ready to leave on their long journey, uh, Tonks makes the kind of smart aleck comment about, like, everybody got their butts? All right, let's go. Like, yeah. <laughs> hold on to your butts. All right, we got this. <laughs> well, even just, like, who do you know who lost a buttock? <laughs> yeah. And then Moody, like, halfway dodges that question, doesn't he? Yeah. That's great. Never uh, mind you. <laughs> it almost makes you wonder that he did it at some point, and something went terribly wrong in his youth. Yeah. And he had to, like, take a trip to St. Mungo's or something <laughs> like that. He's, if he's missing a buttock cheek. I mean, he's got a chunk of his nose missing, so he you does. never know. You never, never know. know. Uh, let's never talk about Moody's butt ever again. <laughs> 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 You're welcome. Yeah. Again. Th- things I never expected to discuss. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I do You're like... asking the real questions here, Dan. <laughs> you are. You are. Um, I do... Going back to Lupin and Harry for a second, I think their key interaction is when they're go- when Lupin is like leaving the letter for the Dursleys. Yeah. And they just have this very quick back and forth about the letter of just like... Oh, you know, I'm going to leave this letter for the Dursleys so they're not worried. Harry, they're not going to be worried. Yeah. And then Lupin continues his train of thought, and Harry just interjects with, like, one little one-liner interjections. I just really like the back and forth. Um, Why are the Dursleys not there? Because Tonks is very clever. And she did her... I don't know if she did her homework, or she just, like, assumed all muggles care about this, or what. But it's the most Dursley thing possible. So she, like hit on the absolute best she sent them through the muggle post an invitation to the all england best kept suburban lawn competition <laughs> which is the most dursley thing i think i've ever heard of in my entire life oh for sure and I, again i don't know if tonks did her homework on this or or this was maybe a dumbledore like suggestion of just like Pro tip. 
and just like <laughs> slit her like some insider information. Yeah. Um, either way, I'll give Tonks the credit, uh, but clever way of getting them out of the house for a night. Absolutely. I want to give Tonks the credit for that. I do. I just like the idea of her yeah. like, uh, could you imagine if like Vernon giggling. Dursley met Nymphadora Tonks? Oh, you like, hate her. Oh, I will post a picture because um, you have the illustrated version yeah. right, of this book. I will post the picture of Tonks uh, to our Instagram. And just when you're w- looking at that picture on our Instagram, just think of Vernon Dursley interacting with this. Because she is like the antithesis of Vernon Dursley about every single way possible. Oh, 100%. We'll get to Tonks in a second. I do want to also mention, though, while we're still hanging out with the bunch of them, that Harry begins to say Voldemort's name. He begins to... He doesn't even say it fully. Mm -hmm. And you just get a bunch of odd hissing noises throughout the group. These are presumably... Presumably. Battle-hardened individuals that have come to guard Harry on a on a journey and they're just like no like time out don't want to hear it absolutely not yep i think it goes back to just the level of fear and anxiety that went through some of these people through the first wizarding war and how bad that was that you know these people are adults they're presumably all competent and can handle themselves and they're not even waiting for him to get the full name out before they're like, ah, no, I don't don't want to hear it. And the only one that doesn't really recoil on it is Moody, but I'm presuming that only because he speaks immediately mm-hmm. um, after this moment. He could have recoiled at it, I don't know, but he's the first one to speak, so I don't feel like he did. I don't think Moody really recoils from anything. yeah. I, honestly. It would be a little, honestly, if I'm thinking about it, it'd be a little weird yeah. for him too. Yeah. But, I don't know, for whatever reason, and I honestly, not a spoiler, because I, I don't have much to bank this on, but Sturgis Podmore doesn't feel like a guy that <laughs> <laughs> that would like recoil, but I feel like he did here. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, let's get back to Tonks. Yes. So, Tonks and Harry end up going up to Harry's room to uh, pack efficiently before they leave for their journey and we find out a lot about Tonks here. We find out that she's a, uh, I'm gonna try to pronounce this as best as I can, a metamorph magus. Mm-hmm. And what they are is a very rare type of individual who can change their appearance at will. Uh, which is really, really cool. Super cool. Uh, they're born, not made. So it's an inherent trait that you're born with, you can't develop it like you can, let's say, Animagus. Like an Animagus, you can uh, learn that skill and practice it and develop it and become one. Well, also, too, there's a whole thing you have to follow with that. Like There's a process. Yeah. There's a very strict process. Yeah. But this is just uh, about as random and rare as you can get. Uh, which led to her getting top marks in concealment and disguise during her aura training. So that goes back to the conversation that we had where it's like extra schooling, I guess. Yeah. After Hogwarts is like, that's fine that you finished your seven years. 
now that you're trying to do something big, extra, like figure that out. So top marks without much studying in yeah. concealment and disguise. So concealment and disguise. All I could think of for that class is people just putting on those glasses with the big nose and like the little. <laughs> <laughs> what are those called? Like the Groucho Marx yeah. glasses or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> just like and like a hat, like a fedora. Being like, I'm disguised now. <laughs> and now all I'm thinking is like the Pink Panther theme of like, yes. Dun. 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 Yeah. And I bet you Moody was just like, this class is stupid. <laughs> I can see through all of this anyway. Yeah. This is dumb. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, where I see him doing well uh, is where she did not do well. Yes. Um, she nearly failed stealth and tracking because she is self-reportedly very clumsy. Yes. Um, so much so that she broke a plate when she, like, uh, entered the, the house. Um, she's only a year into being an aura, so she's relatively fresh, relatively young. And obviously the rapport that she has with Moody suggests that they have a fairly decent relationship. So yeah, so and we see a little bit of Tonks's magical skill. Obviously, she she turns her color, uh, the color of her hair, mm -hmm. from more of a what was it like a violet purple yeah. to a to a violent pink. Yeah, uh, and then we see some of her magic on display when she cleans out Harry's or Hedwig's cage uh, using the Scourgeify spell. She also dumps a bunch of his stuff into the trunk for him <laughs> and then kind of says that she's not really good with these domestic type spells. Mm -hmm. She tries to fold his sock for him and it does not go well. So not really her thing. But yeah, I mean, I mean, that's kind of our intro to Tonks. So what do you kind of get from that, that little interaction between, well, the interactions between her and Moody and, and her and Harry? Um, I mean, I like Tonks. I think she seems like just a clever, stone-cold weirdo that is super confident with herself, to a degree. You know, she's willing to admit, like, where she has weaknesses. But, um, yeah, I think the interaction between her and Harry is, is you know, obviously different than with mm -hmm. her and Moody, because it seems like she can relate more to Harry, I think, in terms of age. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You know? That's a good point. So she's a little bit... I mean, she's relaxed with Moody, too, but it's a little bit more like, oh, hey, all right, let's just do this and get going. So... She seems like a decent combination of obviously competent, and she knows what she's doing, but also more laid back, chill. Yeah. Not too uptight. Right kind of person which i think like you said relates more to harry yeah and he's able to kind of he can't help himself but be interested like i i feel like he like we just talked about it. he has all of this angst he has all of these questions which he tries to fire at lupin early he has all this going on and then he notices mm -hmm. tonks just change, change your hair color and he just stops and is like that was kind of cool yeah well <laughs> like yeah you're, you're kind of cool I think it's, you know, in terms of this chapter, it's a good fresh breath of air for Harry. I think it's good to have Tonks with them because it's like, I mean, Lupin, he's like 
he he's older. He's gonna be a little bit more serious about the situation. Moody is very serious about the situation. And then the other auras and um that came with, they're a little bit we don't really know them very well, you know. Can you imagine if Lupin and Tonks were not on this mission? No. Can you imagine how horribly this probably would have gone? <laughs> yeah. Like you would have it would have been Harry coming willingly. It would have been Moody kidnapping this child. Right. And like forcibly taking him. Well, especially too, because I'm sure that Harry there's a part of Harry that's going to be a little distrustful of... As he should be, probably. The actual Moody because of previous situations. Which would then make Moody like him more because he's like, Ah, you're oh. cautious Ooh. and paranoid. Just like me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. I, I feel like... So, Anna and I just got back from... Orlando and yeah we did the Wizarding World and we did Disney and we had a bunch of fun. I feel like this journey that they go on from Privet Drive to uh, Grimald Place I feel like this could be a whole ride. Yeah. Like I feel like this could be a theme park ride. Oh yeah. And I know they That'd just have cool. Right? Yeah. And yeah you could spice it up a little bit by having some Death Eaters come in and attack during it and get a little bit more you know roller coastery. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool though to have like, uh, and I don't know how they do it. So we went on their newest ride, the Haggard's Motorbike Ride. And that was, you know, a fairly newer, unique ride in that you're literally riding like Haggard's Motorbike. I think it'd be cool if they could figure out a way to get you as a, on a broom. That would be awesome. I, I don't know how they'd strap you in or lock you in. Yeah. But I think that'd be really cool to have like a broom set up ride and you're taking this journey and you can make it 40. You can get wind in your face. Oh, that'd be so cool. Yeah. They could spritz you if you go through a cloud like mm -hmm. uh, like Tonks was saying. Like, ah, oh, we're not going through the clouds. We'll get soaked. Yeah. They can maybe get the chill in the air as you go higher. Get like blast the AC on you a little bit. That'd be awesome. And, you know, as the, you know, Death Eaters come in. You know, firing spells at you. You can, like, dip and, you know, dot. I think it'd be a cool ride. That would be cool. I think they should just hire me as in as a... Uh, I, I know that Disney yes. calls them Imagineers. <laughs> I don't know what Universal calls them, but... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I will take that job. I feel like, though, if they found a way to do the whole broom thing, they would mm -hmm. probably do a Quidditch thing before they would do a ride to Grimmauld. You're probably right. But I still think... I think I would want to do the ride to Grimwald more than the Quidditch thing. I feel like you could, like, mix it up a little bit. Like, it would be Ooh. more of, like, a ride ride. Yeah. Whereas Quidditch would be, like, an experience. Yeah. Which would be cool. But I don't know. I'm just thinking of, like, yeah. you know, like, uh, Green Gots, Escape from Green Gots yeah. kind of ride. Or the, right. or the Hogwarts Castle ride. Ooh. Where it's like you kind of get that experience of like dipping into mm -hmm. like a world and you feel like you're dropping when you're really not dropping. Mm -hmm. um, just on a broom. I just don't know how you would yeah, like be locked into the broom and make that safe. Right. <laughs> but I'm sure they could cool. figure out a way. Yeah. But anyway. So there's my two cents on that. We get to our destination and we find out that Moody has the put outer. Mm -hmm. which is a cool little thing that he borrowed from Dumbledore. And you get this slip of paper that Harry has to read and memorize. 
The headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix may be found at number 12 Grimald Place, London. And then things will happen. <laughs> but but uh, that's essentially the chapter. Um, anything else you want to kind of double back on? or? I mean, just that whole ride over there is just fantastic with Moody and all of his like paranoid... <laughs> let's let's double back yeah no, no. <laughs> that's definitely not <laughs> i do like their formation of having like harry in yeah. the center between tonks and moody mm -hmm. and then having the other wizards like rotate in a circle around wow. like to the right left above and below him yeah it's that's kind cool. of a cool formation yeah but then they also said that there was a secondary formation mm -hmm. that if they got killed. Yeah. <laughs> they would take over. Like, go to this point, and there's a whole other troop that will take over. Right. But they don't mention who any of those people are. Right. Or how many of them are there. Because obviously someone's sending sparks up into the air to let this group know we're, we're all good. Yeah. I want to know who the second group was. I know. <laughs> I kind of want to know who that was. Yeah. Um, Moody is very... They, they're all talking about getting killed, and then Kingsley just comes in with, no one is getting killed. <laughs> like, yeah. we're fine. Yeah. Oh, Kingsley, Dan. I know, we, we do get Kingsley uh, as a character. I, I do love me some Kingsley. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a very cool character, and this is the first time he's mentioned in the series. They do mention a little bit of a pecking order, because, mm -hmm. you know, Moody is Moody. But... Uh, Tonks mentions that Kingsley's also in Auror, and he's higher up than she is mm -hmm. in, in, like, the pecking order. So there's, like, a ranked system for the Aurors. So that was, like, a little nod to how that hierarchy works and and where they're all at as far as experience and and things like that. But I just, <laughs> I just like the group talking about, like, if we die, or if <laughs> like, Moody, if we die, <laughs> don't break ranks. <laughs> If we blow off our buttocks. <laughs> right. Everybody, buttocks on? Great. Okay, let's go. All right. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, we have some interesting things to talk about in the spoiler section, so we'll go ahead and get to the spoiler <laughs> section. Molly has some interesting thoughts on some of her favorite characters. It's going to be an interesting one, because I, I haven't heard this. She only teased me about it in the prep, so I am very anxious to hear what she has to say. And we will be right back with it. Alright, we are back with the spoiler section. Uh, we will not be talking about Moody's butt anymore, we promise. <laughs> uh, unless Molly gets into another tangent. But I cannot promise anything, Dan. Fair enough. Um, I just have a couple of small spoilers before we get to uh, your little character uh, switch up here. Which, I can't wait. So, a couple of spoiler things that I want to get to. Is it a little weird that Harry doesn't recognize the voice in the Howler. It is. Is it a testament to Albus Dumbledore that he, like, he can't recognize Dumbledore when he gives, like, this menacing, aggressive Howler? Or do you think it's, like, the Howler itself is, like, changing the voice enough? No, I think it's that you'd never see upset and angry and yelling. Mm-hmm. That was my biggest thing. Like, okay, odd choice for for Dumbledore to be all angry. 
an, an aggressive hour. I guess. Yeah. He woke up and he chose violence. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, how can I get the point this across? Yeah. Dominating. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's just that. I feel like, and I, granted, there was a lot going on and Harry had a lot going on. So maybe he's not like clicking on all cylinders at that point. That he can't really recognize the change in tone that he's used to. Um, but I still, I think it's a little odd that he couldn't recognize a voice that he should be pretty familiar with. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, so I wanted to get this opinion from you. Um, this scene mimics a scene that we get in book seven in The yeah. Deathly Hallows. With Moody leading a group to lead Harry from Privet Drive. Yeah. And... Um, that's obviously the, the very famous, very well-loved Seven Potters scene. And that group is very, very different from this group with the, the different numbers of, of witches and wizards. Obviously, in that group, there's no Dodge, no Diggle, no Vance, no Podmore, no Jones. It's just Moody, Lupin, uh, Tonks, and Kingsley, really, that, that double up and do both of those scenes. So I'm wondering if the others at that point in book seven have either been honestly killed mm-hmm. or they're just on other missions or like why the substitutions in members? Maybe it's because the members you have in book seven, there's a lot more writing on the line. And they actually care, I mean, about Harry. Like, they're very close to Harry. So maybe they're going to be more willing to protect and more willing to pose as Harry. If you replace Mundungus Fletcher in The Seven Potters Mm -hmm. with Sturgis Podmore. That is an odd choice. Does Moody, like, survive? (laughs) Because he's actually got someone competent that will actually, like, stay? Yeah. Instead of... You know, Bolt last second. Granted, it was right. Boldy coming after Moody, right. not just your average Death Eater. Right. So Sturgis Podmore could have died then, too, if you switch. Mm-hmm. But, what, like, really, you can find a better a better, better guy yeah. than Mundungus Fletcher? Like, Mundungus. I, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like you have better options to maintain constant vigilance <laughs> than, Sturgis, than, uh, than Mundungus Fletcher. Um, but anyway, I was just wondering, like, why that change, like, obviously you want to get more Weasleys in, and that obviously creates more, a more perilous situation, because you don't want any of these people to die, because you've set such a a connection with all of them, um, and obviously we do have some losses, uh, Mm -hmm. coming out of that, but, yeah, I I was just wondering, like, it's a parallel scene. Right. It's the same thing. It's just, why are some different and why? You know? mm-hmm. No, why? it's a very good... I, I've never thought of that, so it's a really good thing to bring up. All right. Let's 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 get to the main event. Oh, boy. So, Molly, when we were doing this prep, you mentioned something to me. Yeah. That your thoughts on a character, or characters, plural, might have shifted. The yeah. winds might have shifted in a certain way. Yeah. And this is a big deal for you. It's a big deal. Explain. Okay. So, we always talk about who our favorite character is outside of the trio. I've always been a big Molly Weasley fan. 
I mean, I think we all know how obsessed I am with the Weasleys, with the Burrow, with their family, mm -hmm. the whole thing. Yep. And it's not too big of a jump here. But I think the winds have changed a little because every time I reread these books, you get a different perspective. You pick up something new. You find something new you like. I think I have to change my favorite character outside of the trio. Ooh. I know. This, this is big because you've been very heavy on this. I, and don't get me wrong. I would say Molly Weasley is like still very close. It's like a little notch above. But I think I'm going to have to change it out with Arthur. Arthur, you're I switching think, Weasleys. I'm switching Weasleys. I'm switching parent Weasleys. All right. So what's the what's yeah. the notch behind this? Why the switch? I, you know, it's funny because after reading Goblet of Fire again with everybody and just the whole nonsense of Molly Weasley and the whole Rita Skeeter thing, mm. it just rubs me the wrong way. And I was just like, I love Molly Weasley. She's an excellent mother. And I know it's a really weird, petty thing to, I'm almost like being petty myself. <laughs> with You're being this. petty about the pettiness? I know. But I just was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can have that gold medal for, for Molly Weasley now. And I mean, of course, my second choice is going to be Arthur. So uh, Molly gets a lot of the shine because yeah. she's in the books far more prominently than Arthur. Right. I feel like. She get well, I guess, because Arthur's in the books a lot. I think Molly's moments in the books get more shine because she's more... She's so fiery. Yeah. Yeah. Like, her moments in the books are a little bit more in your face. Yeah. And, and get a little bit more play because Arthur's such a more chill yeah. individual. Yeah. So his parts aren't played up as much, maybe? Yeah. Molly, I think, does have some flaws. And mm -hmm. I think... The point that you brought up with the Rita Skeeter belief. But not even just that. Uh, you saw her fall hook, line, and sinker for Lockhart, too. You're right. And it, she, clearly she has a weak spot. Yes. She definitely has a weak spot for, I don't want to say propaganda. Skeeter's propaganda. Lockhart's just... Uh, Celebrity. She's a sucker for, for that kind of stuff. Right. The tabloids. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think... It's one thing to be a sucker for that kind of stuff. I could excuse a lot of that. Yeah. But to your point, when it hit so close to home with Hermione, and I get that she hasn't had a lot of honest, close, interpersonal right. uh, interaction with Hermione at this point. But, I mean, clearly your son and your, for lack of a better phrase, adopted son, because that's what she really thinks of Harry. Right. If they're such good friends with Hermione, do you distrust both of them to be, like, right. not a good judge of character? For sure. Like, <laughs> that kind of confuses me a little bit. Like, yeah. you're throwing away your son yeah. and adopted son's opinions kind of out the window for this random writer that you don't actually know. Exactly. It's it's a little concerning. Yeah. I mean, again, Molly is a great mother and, you know, I'll always have a very, very special place in my heart for Molly Weasley. 
Not totally being like, she's the so, worst. Here we go. Let's let's do this. Instead of talking some negatives about Molly, which yeah. we've already done, but yeah. whatever. Let's talk some positives about Arthur. Yeah. And why Arthur gets that bolted position now. Yeah. So Arthur is just that chill dad. And he's just a great guy. And he's hilarious. And I always think back to the scene, back to the burrow. And when, you know, the boys are getting yelled at for taking the flying car. And he's like, that was very bad. But really, how did it go? (laughs) (laughs) And it just brings such a good, special place in my heart with Arthur. Like, he's just that fun-loving dad. And I love the family atmosphere of the Weasleys. And I think my personal favorite Arthur moment so far in the books was at the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah. And he's trying to give them, like, girl advice because of the Vila's and the whole bit. Yeah. And it's just, that was really good father advice. Yeah. And that they kind of ignore because it's dad giving that advice. But I'm like, oh, that's that's, that's a nice yeah. moment for Arthur. Yeah. Uh, and I do, I think if you question Arthur's prominence in the books because he might not be you know, the most forefront or in-your-face character. Look at the way his family looks at him. Mm-hmm. Like, he's had an impact on particularly his sons. I mean, there's the obvious connection with Percy because they're both in the ministry. I get Percy has his ups and downs with Arthur. Mm-hmm. But... I think that influence is there whenever your son kind of goes into your line of business. That's a direct thing. Yeah. Obviously, I think the twins have the closest. uh, Yeah. Of of any of them. I think the twins have that bond with Arthur the most. And they recognize, I think, Arthur's genius more than maybe anybody else because they see his love of muggle artifacts as a potential workaround almost of like no one values this skill or technique we can maybe do something with that right and it's cool that he sees value in it and we see value in it and we can kind of like come together on that right and you know i think they sell a lot of muggle magic tricks at their future shop I don't know. There's just something about Arthur Weasley that's just like, here, this is the best thing I could say about Arthur. He gives off that vibe of that you desperately want in a parent where whatever's happened, whatever's going on, mm-hmm. no matter how bad it is, come talk to me about yes, it. Yes. Because I won't judge you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to yell at you. We're going to figure out what the problem is and we're going to fix it. Right. And I think you see that most... With Harry, of yeah. all people. Yeah. Who, whenever he has a real issue, uh, like, and I get Sirius is not long for the series at this point. Yeah. So there's that. And Harry's relationship with Lupin gets strained when he yeah. tries to come to Lupin for that. But his relationship with Arthur's never strained. And Arthur always takes Harry seriously and never questions him never goes like oh you're wrong or that's stupid or that's not worth looking into he always treats him like an adult but like an adult 
Right. He's never gonna like chastise like chastise you as like a a child like a full child. Right. Like you were saying, he's gonna sit down. Not only that too, like Arthur is just like such an encouraging person and so full of life and he reminds me in a way of like an Atticus Finch type character. Almost like he wants to see the good in people. I mean, he's going to lay down the law when he when he needs to. Like, he's a smart man. Right. And he's a talented wizard, you know. But, yeah, he's, he's just a good-hearted person, like, down to the bones. I think people should really pay attention to Arthur more. Literally starting... You really should do it starting in book three, even, with... You see, like, him and Molly have an argument over how to, like, treat Harry. It's like a quiet strength that he has. Yes. You know? And, like, even even in book three when they argue about how to treat Harry and what to tell him and what not to tell him. I mean, that's a difference mm -hmm. between who Molly Weasley is and who Arthur Weasley is. But then in book four, you get more of the him at the Quidditch World Cup and how he deals with the kids and how he does all of that. And now... In book five, you start getting more of that real relationship. Who is Arthur Weasley really starts in book five because you get a lot more of him starting here. Yeah. And you get him as that confidant for Harry. And um, yeah, I, I guess that's the sense of... Our, and you get that with all of his kids too, is just that willingness to be like, hey dad, let's talk. Right. Like, hey, I need to talk to you about this. What's your advice on this? Mm -hmm. Whether it's something silly or whether it's something very serious, you get that sense that all of them mm -hmm. have that, like, we can always talk to dad. Yeah. About whatever. Yeah. Not that they can't with Molly, but they do have to watch their words. And right. You, and you can see all of the kids right. watch their words around Molly when they don't hold anything back when they talk to Arthur. They, like, let it fly. Mm -hmm. And he always deals with it well. Right. Which I think is a mark of a really good parent. But. Absolutely. And yeah. we will have more. <laughs> more Arthur, conversations. I, I love Arthur. Yeah. I love Arthur a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think Anna and I had a really good conversation about fatherhood with Sirius. Mm -hmm. And like how Sirius is kind of like trying to fit that needle between like. Yeah. Godfather and father surrogate. Right. And he doesn't know exactly where that line is, nor should he, because that's a tricky needle to thread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we kind of had that conversation, which I thought was a really good one. And Arthur's not trying to be anybody but himself. Yes. Which is great. And I think he, as much as people give Molly the title of like mother of the series, Arthur, I think, deserves that. That, I mean, he is a father's father <laughs> in the yeah, series. he's a quiet force. Yeah. And he's a good human being. Like, I feel like Molly tells the twins to do something. They'll be like, yeah, yeah mom, okay, and then go off and do it in their room. Mm -hmm. I feel like if Arthur tells them, like, boys. It's a bad idea. Really. Like, <laughs> you really need to stop this. Right. Or at least think twice about it. Yeah. They might not listen to him, but yeah. they'll... Pause. Right. They will give real pause and be like, Dad's saying not to do this. Right. Maybe we should really consider I, it. I feel like it's that contradiction. Like, you know, Molly Weasley is the anger. 
And then Arthur Weasley's The Disappointment. You never... Right. <laughs> like, you can take being yelled at. Right. You know? But, man, if you disappoint your parent... Mm-hmm. So, and I feel like that's Arthur's way. You know, like, you're going to... I would assume. Boys, you, know, you got to be better. Right. You got to be better. And that hurts more than just the pure anger yelling. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I do think that Molly and Arthur's marriage, specifically, is a really great counterbalance to each other. Very good pairing. They they work well together. Yes. Obviously, because they produce so <laughs> many great kids. Right, right. You know, and, you know, Percy, you could dislike or like or whatever, but eventually yeah. he comes back around. Right. And realizes what that family dynamic means to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly... I know we get seven books and we think, oh, Percy's a lost cause at some yeah. point. He's only like 18, 19. Right. He's got a long way to go. Absolutely. Like the fact that he comes back at the end, he's got a long way to go still. Right. I think too, you know. It's probably, he's probably older. He's probably in his early 20s, but still. Yeah. And I think too, though, you always go through that phase a little bit in life where it's like you question your parents to a degree where you're like, oh, what do they know? Mm-hmm. And... I'm sure, too, there's also that part of, I want to be different, and I want to stake, you know, stake my own claim as an adult. I don't want to always be in the shadow of my parents or something. Strive for better. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think Arthur and Molly, especially especially Arthur, they're, they're proud parents. Yeah. But I think they're also the type of parent, like most parents should be of they want better for their kids than they had. They always want their kids to be successful. Mm-hmm. Percy goes about it in a little bit more of a irreverent way. Like, Bill is successful, but he never, like, tries to shove that in anyone's face. He's just right. like, I am what I am, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Right. And you guys are you guys, and that's okay. Whereas Percy's like, no, 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 I want to be this and what you guys are isn't living up to that and i think that's where it gets crosswired but yeah yeah anyway but yeah <laughs> so to be clear i'm also not changing my favorite character you hate molly weasley based upon hate right <laughs> <laughs> and dislike it's more of i've realized i've kind of looked at that quietness of arthur and come to admire his traits more so and who he is as a person well you know you've talked about your dad on the podcast a couple of times do you ever like find yourself oh, like comparing the two i that's a big part of it too yeah you know it's it's hard because it's it's just one of those things every time i look at arthur weasley and just some of the things he does i'm like oh my gosh that's my dad yeah so there's definitely a big part of that too i'm i'm finding myself more and more often like when uh, so again i ann and i were just in disney in orlando plenty of dads yeah and and bless all of the parents that take their very small <laughs> children they're better than me yeah. <laughs> like, like just putting up with all of that they're better than me yeah every time we saw a dad being like an mvp like carrying like trays of food back to the family or like yeah kid in each arm carrying them <laughs> through the days or like passed out or whatever have you 
I, I would always think back to Arthur. I'm like, oh, it's such an Arthur move for yeah. this. Like, I'm now correlating Arthur Weasley with, like, right. good dads. Oh, absolutely. He's a great dad. So. <laughs> um, one more thing, because it's you. So I want to get your thoughts on this, too. Yeah. Um, tonks. We get uh, Nymphador Tonks. Yeah. Uh, we don't learn it here in this chapter, but we know that she's a Hufflepuff. Yes! I think most would, uh, I think, equate her to being the best representation of a Hufflepuff. Yeah. In this series, in this seven books. In this books. series, yeah. Um, I, again, still contend that she's in it more than Cedric Diggory, but that's <laughs> beside the point. <laughs> she is a wonderful representation of Hufflepuff. She is. Um, what are your lar- this is a spoiler section. What are your larger thoughts on on Tonks? Oh, I love Tonks. Um, again, I love any stone cold weirdo that the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Harry Potter universe spits out. Um, yeah, I love Tonks. I love just the. I will say it. Half Blood Prince. She gets a little weepy. Which we know why we end up figuring out why, but that was a little her I'm mousy sh- brown hair. Her and... mousy brown hair. <laughs> it was a little hard to watch, but then again, too, when I go to reread Half Blood Prince, maybe my thoughts will change. Once you like, I feel like when we get into the weeds of the details yeah. on characters, and we could put ourselves in Tonks and Lupin. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, spoiler alert: they're ending up. <laughs> together <laughs> and we can really get into the dynamics of that relationship yeah uh, because you know we were again talking about Anna and I were talking about parentage and you know you could point at Lupin and Tonks of making some questionable decisions yeah uh, that you know set a certain path for their their child going forward which we can get into more yeah in Deathly Hallows, but yeah, I mean, Tonks is a unique, fiery uh, character, but fiery in a different sense than Molly. Yeah. Like, she just doesn't take anything from anybody. Yeah. Um, I like Tonks a lot. Obviously, extraordinarily talented, quick-witted. Clever. Yeah, just a cool And she can character. change her hair color whenever she wants. She relates so well to, like... Well, here's the thing. Here's why I think a lot of people really like Tonks is because, honestly, she relates well to our trio. Yeah. And, again, most of these readers read the books through the eyes of one of the trio, whether it's Ron, mostly Hermione, or mostly Harry. So you're looking at Tonks through their eyes, and they think she's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So we kind of get that in. I mean, not to say that they're wrong, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's why most people just love her is because we see nothing but positive vibes through the eyes of like Harry and Hermione. Exactly. Particularly. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have any general thoughts on Order of the Phoenix as a whole or some wrap up from Goblet of Fire? Because this is the first time you've been on in a minute. Yeah. Um, I mean, I thought Goblet of Fire is pretty cool. Pretty cool ending. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool. And then uh, you get Order of the, or, yeah, Order of the Phoenix. Starts off with Bang. Just a, another wild ride. I'm excited to see 
what opinions of mine change through rereading it and listening to your guys' thoughts. I always have that surprise character that I was like, I didn't expect to love this character so much. Yeah. And in the last book, it was obviously Barty Crouch Jr. I'm like, right. do I love this character? Why do I love this right? character? Because he's genius and he's complicated. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering what character will take that yeah. role in book five. Yeah. As we read this on a more in-depth level than we've ever done before. Absolutely. Is there anything that you're particularly looking forward to? I know everybody loves the Department of Mysteries. Yeah. I mean, how can you not? Oh, man. Or is there anything that you are not looking forward to that you're... Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Department of Ministries again. Uh, Mysteries again. Oh, well, uh, well, yeah. yeah. Even our conversation that we just had. Yeah. That, that <laughs> Every time I get to that chapter, I'm just like, I... Uh, I avoid reading it for a while because I know what's going to happen. Do you remember us talking about like Ugh. if Harry ends up getting addicted to that sleeping potion? That <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, ooh, that could have turned out really bad for Arthur right? Weasley. Yeah. And really good for Sirius. <laughs> like, yeah. Let us know your thoughts on <laughs> Arthur Weasley, Molly Weasley, the advanced guard, the whole group. Uh, your thoughts on Tonks. Who, or Kingsley, yeah. which we didn't really even talk that much about, but don't you worry, I will talk about Kingsley in the future. Yeah. Let us know what you think about all these new characters that we learned. Is Do you have a favorite? Let us know. Maybe that'll be the poll for this one. Ooh. Mm. I like uh, it. We'll, we'll think about a poll. Uh, that poll you can find on Spotify. Uh, if you're listening to this on Spotify, there will be a poll option when you look it up. And wherever you're listening to this, there's also a link to support this podcast. And you can set up a donation, which really helps us out. Because this is a lot of work and a lot of time that goes into this. And Dan does a fabulous job. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's it's a lot. But uh, we're happy to do it. We're happy to keep growing. It's uh, more successful than I ever thought this would be when we started it <laughs> up. So um, we thank all of our listeners for... Uh, supporting this podcast either by making a donation or by just listening and that helps us out but please like share the podcast uh, give us a review uh, all of that helps grow the podcast too which really helps so with that i think we'll end it here yeah. so for molly i'm dan thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next one Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.